This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here with Ken Campbell, Ryan Kennedy, and I'm not talking too loud, I'm talking soft because we got new equipment and it feels so What are you so doing? Good. Are you doing a very light thing or what? Hey, everybody. Yeah, yeah. come into my lair, baby. Exactly. <laughs> I'm excited because we got new equipment. We don't have to overcompensate just to be heard by that shit. We overcompensate and, uh, for different reasons. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So theoretically. I super- drive a really big truck. <laughs> yeah, with, with flames on it and, uh, you know. But assuming we're using this equipment correctly the first time, we're probably sounding better than before, I hope so. So we'll see, okay? Uh, either way, we're giving it our best shot, and let's get to some hockey news right now, because we are the hockey news. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I know people out there are going to say, oh, you're going to lead with the Leafs, but they've been a big story the past week. And for the Leaf haters out there, hey, it's a story about the Leafs being bad, so maybe you're not going to complain. Uh, it seems like every time we blink, they gave up six goals in a game again. Mm-hmm. Uh, some injuries to deal with, not to their star players, but to you know two of their better defensemen, Derman, Jake Gardner, and Kasperi Kapanen's out with a concussion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but it's pretty clear, and we've talked about this all year, that their flaws are out there and they're being very exposed right now. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty obvious they're in trouble for round one. So let's start by pointing fingers. <laughs> who, do you, who do you think is to blame? Is this a coaching problem? Is this a management problem in terms of what players Kyle Dubas has put on the ice? Or is it a player problem? You know, Garrett Sparks was saying we need to play with more emotion after the loss in Ottawa on, on Saturday. So what do you guys think? Well, I mean, everything that you bring up is a, is a problem in all three areas. I mean, if, if, if somebody, if the backup goalie is calling out his team and saying, we need to play with more emotion, that's on the players. I'm sorry, but it's not an NHL coach's job to get his players up for the game. You know, it's, it's, it's up to an NHL coach to prepare his team for the game tactically, but if you can't get up for the game at this level and you can't play with emotion, that's on the players. Um, things like, they're brutal on faceoffs. Like, they're not just bad. They're, they're like, scary bad on face-offs. They start games horribly. Yes. You know, they, they uh, you know, they get rolled over by teams that dig in and, and play a heavy game, you know, or just even good teams are getting rolled over by. They, they, and, and the thing to me is that, that, that I notice about this team is they, too, way too often, they score their way out of trouble. And that's... That's just not a recipe that 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 plays in the playoffs. And I think I think it's you know I'm not bailing here, but I think it's a combination of all three. I think this roster is very flawed and has been since the beginning. And they they I think they went with this identity and they 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 figured they were going to you know sink or swim with this team with this roster. And and they're sinking a little bit right now. I think there are some coaching. Uh, aspects of it here, like with face-offs, with starts, with you know the deployment of some players, and you know if these guys can't can't get up for games now, then that's on them. Uh, fair enough. Uh, I'm on team blame Dubas in this situation, and yeah, hey, he's done a great job overall. They're a very competitive team, fifth overall in the NHL standings as we discuss right now. But what did we say in September was the Leafs' biggest flaw? Defense. Defense. Yeah, yeah. What did we say in October was the Leafs' biggest flaw? Defense. What do we say in December, January? It was known all season long that this team was defensively deficient. It was very clear. It was clear a year ago in the playoffs, mm-hmm. and not enough was done to address the problem. Jake Muzzin was brought in. That was a good start, but they needed help on the right side, not the left. 
And that problem was not addressed. And you guys remember the trade deadline podcast, I picked the Leafs as my number one loser uh, because they just did not address it from a personnel standpoint. It was glaring. And the fact that it was obvious from the off season, the off season, that's when the GM is basically on the ice doing his play. And I just don't think that the proper move was made to address that flaw. And I think it's going to cost them a season of contention. You're going to burn a year and have to go looking again in the summer when they could have done it last summer or maybe at the trade deadline this year. Mm. And I'll look at that from a slightly different perspective. When, you know, Ken, you talked about deployment. And yes, defense obviously was a big question. But I, I wonder how much better off this team would be if Justin Hall had actually got a legitimate shot to play regular minutes for the first 80% of the season, as opposed to just now when they're down two of their best puck movers in Jake Gardner and Travis Dermott. And I put that on Babcock, constantly giving Ron Hainsey and Nikita Zaitsev big minutes. You know, he constantly complains about, well, not constantly complains, but, you know, he has complained about the lack of righties. You have a righty, a guy that does work hard, has size and moves the puck in Justin Hall, and he is a healthy scratch for all but like one game in the first, uh, you know, 60 games or whatever it was. Like, why not at least get him in a little bit more? You pull back on Hainsey and Zaitsev, and at the least, it gives you the effect of those guys get a bit of a rest, a bit of a reset. But at the same time, maybe you develop somebody who could be more of a top four guy versus a you know a a five six on your squad i'm also gonna have a here's a dark horse candidate for whose fault this is the crown (laughs) the crown prince of denmark because uh when toronto beat buffalo earlier in i guess it was in february or, or early march uh freddie anderson was visited by the crown prince after the game and uh ever since then he has been just shellacked Interesting point. Wow. Yes. And it's yeah. funny, I think uh, in a backwards way, Sparks getting shellacked was probably the best thing that could have happened for Freddie's confidence. True. Because yeah. maybe, hey, it's not me. Yeah. Yes. I, I'm, I'm not as down on, on Hainsey as a lot of people. I'm I'm big time down on Zaitsev. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I, I think for what he brings, you know, and the, the minutes he logs and the hard minutes he logs and the penalty kill and everything, I don't think Hainsey's near as destructive as a lot of other people do. Well, not as destructive as Zaitsev for sure, but and my problem is just the amount of minutes he's he's yeah. playing. Like I think in an ideal world, you cut him down about 3-4 minutes a game and then perhaps when he has those lapses in the yeah. defensive zone, they don't happen as often because he has more energy. He has more mental focus. I just think he's playing too yeah. much for what he is. Yeah. Right. I, I, think, I think that Zaitsev either has to be has to get better at English or Hainsey has to learn Russian because these guys, their communication is just abominable sometimes. Mm. And they don't they haven't played together much, yeah. right? So they've yeah. been forced together. Yeah. To me, Hainsey, if Hainsey's on your third pair, that's fine. Yeah. But totally. imagine like, you know, Ian Cole, top pair defenseman. It's the equivalent of doing something like that, right? Yeah. And the yeah. only way that the only way to, to protect against a coach just going with the gritty vets like that is to remove them. So mm-hmm. Dubas didn't re-sign Roman Polak, but Ron Hainsey was left over from the Lou Lamorello era. So based on the pattern of Dubas, I'm going to guess that Hainsey isn't back. Because again, you take the toy away. Exactly. If you know the coach is going to play the old toy, then you take the toy out of his hands. Mm. Victor Hedman's playing less than 23 minutes a game in Tampa Bay. Yeah. That, that's by design. And it helps that Tampa has an excellent decor, but if you think about that, 
that's why the Lightning have been successful amongst many other reasons, but that's why they can be successful long-term is because they're not killing their top guys. Yeah, Mark Giordano's playing about 24 minutes, too. Mm-hmm. And, and like some nights he plays 20 or 21. And there you go. Yeah, That's right. Uh, switching over to the West, the Arizona Coyotes. And I was saying this all morning. We had our morning meeting today, and I kept calling the Arizona Coyotes adorable because they are. This is the cutest, most adorable little team. And, you know, you don't want to root for a team as journalists, but it's going to be hard not to just be taken in by the story, the cute, cuddly story of the Arizona Coyotes if they can somehow hold on to this spot and make the playoffs on the back of Darcy Kemper. It's pretty amazing. So I guess, first of all, do you guys think Arizona's going to finish this task? Are they going to be the team that squeaks in to the playoffs as a bottom seed? I think they can do it. And the reason is they don't rely on one person in particular. I mean, they're getting goals from a variety of sources. You're going to have you know guys like Al Skalchenyuk, if they don't get 20 goals, he'll, he'll be at least close. He's got 17 right now. They just have a bunch of guys that Try really hard and, and do have skill too, but I, I think it's a lot of guys that, you know, we sort of talk about the Island of Misfit Toys where they've come together and you have your your Galchenyuks, your Hinnestrozas, um, you know, on the back end, Jordan Osterley has played big for them. And, and as you mentioned, Darcy Kemper, he's got a 921 save percentage. Ooh, 920, 924 since, uh, since um, Ranta got hurt. There you yeah, go. Even like, better. He's like twenty eleven and something. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah. So they're they're not relying. It's it's not like a freak thing where Oliver Ekman Larson is getting eighty points from the blue line or anything like that. Like it's a legit team effort. And you know I, I know that we've had blogs on this on the website. Like how do you handicap the Jack Adams right now? Like sure Barry Trotz, great job. Yeah. Uh, you know Rod Brindamore is in there as well, but. Man, Rick Tockett. Oh, if they he's get got in, the boys if, playing. If they get in with this crew of misfits, he's he's the, he's he's got my vote. It might well, be he more. He doesn't have my vote, so <laughs> we don't vote. but he would yeah. have my vote. It might it might be more impressive even than what Barry Trotz has done. I think yeah. Barry Trotz had more to work with than yeah. and yeah. Arizona did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be very interesting. And also, where does Darcy Kemper, like, does Darcy Kemper deserve heart trophy votes? <laughs> and, but think about it. I've been a yeah. guy, I'm a, an award definition truther. And if we really go by the definition mm-hmm. of what the heart trophy is, it's not best player. It's player most valuable to his team. And yep. is there going to be any player, if Arizona makes the playoffs, will Darcy Kemper be the player that influences team's fate the most in the NHL? I think there's a case to be made. And, mm-hmm. and people just... They don't vote that way for the most part. Right. I mean, yeah. Taylor Hall, yes, Taylor Hall was not the best player in the league last year. McDavid was, but Hall was still one of the very best. Right. I don't think anyone would ever go as far to do a Darcy Kemper type of vote. Kind of reminds me of Steve Mason with Columbus in 08-09. But if we really want to get literal with the definition of the award, could you make a case that Darcy Kemper is the most valuable player in the league this year? To his team? To his yeah, team. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Let's get literal. Literal. Yeah. I want to get literal. <laughs> Here's a stat for you fellas. Okay. Clayton Keller, Alex Galchenyuk, and Oliver Ekman Larson are the three top scorers for the Arizona Coyotes. They have 112 points combined. Woo! Nikita wow. Kucherov has 117. <laughs> wow. And that's a great transition because the next thing we were going to talk about today was A, Kucherov, and B, the Hart Trophy. So maybe that strengthens the case for Kucherov, for the heart, and this is something I've been engaging with on Twitter a lot. I've written about it recently, the idea that Kucherov, there's no doubt he's going to be named the most outstanding player. He's going to win the Lester B. Pearson, I'm pretty sure, this year. 
Um, but is he the MVP? Can you be the MVP when you're sharing a team with Andre Vasilevsky and Braden Point, Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman? Is he so good that it doesn't matter? Has he finally yes. reached that critical mm, juncture? Yes. And what happens, so for example, Connor McDavid is, has made up a lot of ground in the scoring race. He's within 12 points. If McDavid narrows that gap and by yeah. year's end, Kucherov wins the scoring race by five points, is he still the MVP of the league or is he merely the best player? Well, you're dealing in a lot of hypotheticals. Yeah, if, if, no, I, yeah. if I were vo- if I had if I were voting for the uh, for the Hart Trophy right now, my ballot would be in order: Nikita Kucherov, Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby. That that would be how I'd vote. Um, I, I just think it's it's getting it's just getting too hard to to ignore what Kucherov's doing, even yeah. though he's on the team he's on. And and I mean, for me, it's it's more of a hybrid vote. I I also think it goes to the most valuable guy but I also think that that you know the best player because I mean you, you can't really you can't penalize Nikita Kucherov because he's playing for such a great team mm-hmm. and he makes them such a great team as well right um so yeah I, I just think it's getting more and more and more difficult to, to to ignore what he's doing like if if he had zero goals if Kucherov had zero goals he'd be 13th in NHL scoring right <laughs> Yeah, just on his assist. That's a great, great excuse to just plug Wayne Gretzky is the greatest ever one more time. Right, exactly. Wayne's got, no Wayne goals. Gretzky no goals. goals. He's number one. Number He's one still by far time. number one yeah. scorer yeah. of all time. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. We love you, Gretzky. Yeah, yeah. For me, like best player on the best team. Right. He's a big reason why they are the best. I, I, I don't think you can ignore him. For me, the internal debate is once again. Do I consider McDavid because he's on a non-playoff team? But also this year, Patrick Kane is on a non-playoff team and having an incredible season. Uh, It's a debate that I hate that I have to have because you would hope that the guys around them wouldn't be so poor (laughs) that we're having this conversation. But can you truly bring value to a team that is playing for nothing? Well, again, again, I I just think that you can't, like the same way you can't penalize Kucherov for being on a team that's too good, you can't penalize Connor McDavid because the rest of his team would have a, t- a tough time competing in, you know, the Italian league, right? Like, right. it's just, it, you can't, you can't. And and to me, like, if anything, I mean, Connor McDavid's not being valuable to the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, really. Because he's been so good. He's the only good player they have. He's hurting yeah. so, their lottery up. So, like, they'd be, they'd be winning the lottery again if it weren't for him. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for me, and it goes for both McDavid and Kane, it's like, you had two points in a 5-3 loss. Yeah. What's what's the the value in that in the greater scheme of things? Right, right, right. To me, the best player in the world always has to be in the conversation. In my opinion. And it's a good time. In my opinion, he's always got to be in the conversation, no matter who he plays for, Mm. what team he plays for, how good they are, how bad they are. He's always got to be, in my my estimation, Mm. a finalist. And Connor McDavid is, like, to me, hands down, undisputed, no argument whatsoever. He's the best player in the world. Mm. And I think if if the vote's going to be very close, then best player is a great tiebreaker, right? So, yeah. I, but although this year, I also think that Sidney Crosby, more so than the past several years, needs to be seriously considered. Damn right. He might be my Selkie Trophy frontrunner. I don't want to yeah. right. go on record and say that yet because I want to dig deeper. You just numbers. did. No, but I, I said <laughs> might. I didn't say I'm not, I'm not officially calling him. Mike. But it's on the record. Well, it's on the record. You just said <laughs> We're it. We're recording. I said I'm not going to go on record. Okay, fine. It's semantics. You sons Go F yourself. Okay? Uh, but the point being... Uh, 
Crosby's you know up to fourth in the league in scoring. Yeah, he's been the, the best offensive player other than Kucherov in the second half. The last mm-hmm. time I checked, mm-hmm. and the goal differential with him on the ice is remarkable. Like his defensive hockey is the best probably he's ever been, uh, and that's a team that. You know, Pittsburgh, we know they're top-heavy. They depend on their stars a lot, and they wouldn't be... They might be out of the playoffs without Crosby this year, so he's been yeah. very valuable mm-hmm. to his team. Uh, so to he, me, he'd be probably my number two guy, and I, yeah. I think even though I'm the awards definition truther, I agree that you can't ignore Kucherov at this point, so he'd yeah. probably be my pick um, for number one. Crosby, I think more so than the Hart, Hart Trophy, I think Crosby wants to win the Selkie. Sure. More than more than the heart, because he's won the heart before. Yeah. I think he's a big bucket list check off checklist yep. kind of guy. Yeah. And this is one of those ones and he's got a ton of pride in and I asked him about it this year at the All Star Game and, and he was like you could tell. You could tell when he answered the question, it was like yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah, I want to win that trophy. Right. Yeah, he wants to check That's that. That's good. Yeah, yeah. If, he, if it were up to him, he would try to like re-enter the draft as a rookie so he could win the call. Yeah, and like, like maybe he'll drop back to defense to try yeah. and win the Norris and <laughs> throw the pads on. I don't know. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, we're going to do some fantasy insider talk. It's been a while now, and a lot of teams are probably in their fantasy hockey playoffs. Most leagues are right now. Playoffs. Uh, so a few guys, a few ads, they're all forwards this week that might be able to help you if you're looking for a depth or dealing with injuries to guys like Vladimir Tarasenko, for example. Uh, one is David Perron, and Tarasenko is a good transition here because Perron is the current temporary replacement on the first line in St. Louis with Ryan O'Reilly and Braden Shen. Perron was playing very well, but he got dropped in a lot of leagues. His ownership number went down to the 30s because he was hurt. So he's a guy that might have been dropped and forgotten about in some of your leagues. He's a good guy to scoop up because he's capable of producing like a first liner for short amounts of time. Another guy to look at is Ryan Donato. He's definitely the guy I'd file under. Really, people haven't noticed this yet. 13 points in 13 games. Not like it's three games. It's a pretty decent sample size for a guy that's so under-owned in fantasy leagues. Uh, He's been often toiling as low as the third line, but he's getting power play time to make up for that, right? So Donato's hot, and he's shooting the puck a lot. If you're an elite that counts shots, he's a pretty valuable add because he's he's got a lot of momentum right now. Uh, And speaking of momentum, Brendan Perlini is a guy to look at. This is more of a deep league ad. Uh, He's been hot, as hot as anybody in the league, playing with Strom and Alex Dabrinkit. The only thing is Perlini is not getting any of those points on the power play. So you don't know if it's going to continue. Ideally, for fantasy, you're going to want a guy who's getting that power play time as well. Uh, So far, it hasn't been happening for Perlini as much. So I would say add him in deep leagues, but he could also go cold and suddenly have a bad week. So don't go crazy adding Perlini. Now let's switch over to you, Ryan. Future Watch, some prospect talk. Yeah, so we'll start with the 2019 draft class. Uh, go to Finland with Vili Heinola, a defenseman with Luko Rama. Um, this is a kid. He was at the World Juniors and played very well for the Finns. Unfortunately, got hurt against Canada in the quarterfinal, but still got a gold medal out of it. Uh, he's been really nice. Uh, averaged about 19 minutes per game during the regular season. Now they're into the playoffs. It's just two points in two games. Um, hockey sense is his biggest attribute. Uh, skating coming along as well. I had one scout say to me, he's like a poor man's Miro Heskinen. And given what Miro Heskinen has already done as an NHL rookie with the Dallas Stars, that should get some people excited. Uh, so look for Hanela probably in the first round. Uh, he's, got, he's got some big-time fans out there. Going to drafted players, and we'll stick on the Dallas theme there, uh, Jason Robertson, the Dallas Stars pick. He just won the OHL scoring crown, 117 points this season, split between Kingston and Niagara, uh, had been with the Frontenacs, got traded to the Ice Dogs, 
because they are one of the powers in the East. This is a guy who, great release, great shot, uh, great puck protection because he's got some pretty good size to him. You know, skating and strength were not fantastic when the Stars drafted him, but he's really worked on it. When I saw him this summer in Traverse City, he looked much improved, and he has carried that out you know, throughout the season. Uh, saw him with the Ice Dogs late in the year, and he looked pretty good. Um, Niagara, obviously they want to have a big run, and Robertson's going to be a, an integral part of what is yeah, shaping up to be a nice... By Sudbury. Well, Sudbury has to get past Mississauga. Homer, you're <laughs> yeah. a homer, bud. You're a homer. Yeah, Sudbury gets Mississauga in the first round. Yeah, they're, they're like, they beat him by like 15 points in the standings, I think. Yeah. What's, yes. what's the Sudbury story where, where you were, just because you were going for a jog, someone asked you if you were a doctor or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you look fit. <laughs> Are you a doctor, bud? Are you a doctor or something? <laughs> uh, fun, fun Sudbury Wolves fact. I was looking this up for something I was doing last week. So they, they, they have home ice advantage in the playoffs. They do. The last time they had home ice advantage in the playoffs, yeah. Mike Smith was their goalie. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. old on the Calgary Flames, Mike Smith. I, I thought you were going to say Jim Bedard. <laughs> <laughs> Old Mike, so that would mean like 2001. Yeah, that means the last time they were number one or home ice advantage, I was still wearing shell necklaces as well. I guess so. Yeah, you know, sure. back when yeah. I was in that phase because I was a teenager. Yeah, you know, Nikita Kucherov had like a hundred points, and you were still wearing neck uh, shell. No, I was still wearing <laughs> like until I was week. like 25. <laughs> and somebody, I was arguing with a friend, and he was like, "Yeah, nice shell. Oh yeah, nice shell necklace." And I looked in the mirror, I was like. Oh my god, I'm still wearing Oh my god, oh my god, I'm a douche. Oh my god, I'm a douche. What a loser. What a loser. Like, I just kind of forgot. Yeah, so, like, I stopped wearing shell in like 2008. Oh boy. Yeah. All right, well, I'll try to redeem myself here with a bit of talk about uh, from the magazine. Future Watch is about to come out any day now on newsstands. Personally, it's my favorite issue we do all year where we grade every team's farm system and also their. Their talent group of players 21 and younger. So that could include guys who are at the NHL level. And we have an anonymous panel of scouts, executives from different NHL teams. They pool all the prospects together. They rank them at a 300. And they also rank every team's individual system. Uh, and one of the teams we featured this year is a team we have not featured in a long time, the New York Rangers. Because after years of being at the bottom, because they never had draft picks. They finally climbed significantly this year as a result of their rebuild. Uh, and I spoke to Jeff Gordon, their GM, also Gordy Clark, their head scout for the story. Uh, and it was really fascinating just to get an idea of what it's been like for this team to change its identity. Uh, Gordon told me that when they wrote that letter to the fans, it was sort of him and Glenn Sather and the owner, James Dolan, looking at each other saying, do we have what it takes to build this team into a contender? And they kind of looked at each other and said, no. The answer kept coming back to no, is what yeah. Gordon said. Yeah. Uh, so they decided to blow it up. And to their credit, they've done that. Uh, they didn't get too aggressive in free agency. They're leaving room on the roster for kids. They've made a ton of trades. And in one season, they moved their ranking from, I think it was 24th to 11th in Future Watch. They had, uh, in 2017, two first-rounders, of course, Lee Sanderson and Philip Kittle. Uh, last year, three first-rounders. This year, minimum two first-rounders, depending on conditions. They could have as many as four. Yeah, that's, pretty that's good, yeah, a pretty good chance yeah. of three because one yeah, of the, yeah. the Tampa yeah. Bay Lightning winning the cup is one of the conditions. Right. Uh, so they could end up with as many as nine first-round picks in a span of three years. Wow. And it was neat. And I, and I said, I decided to go for it and say, you know, did it uh, was it extra fun to have draft picks? And then they and Gordon and Gordy Clark both said, yeah, like my heart was pounding. Gordon said his heart was pounding. He was so excited to finally be able to like announce picks in the first round. Yeah. So it's changed the culture. Uh, but what's going to be challenging for the franchise is, mm-hmm. um, 
is making decisions on certain members of the veteran corps. So they did, you know, you have to cash in the chips to Corello, Kevin Hayes. That was the easy part. Um, but when it comes to guys like Chris Kreider and... I, I would have liked to have seen them move him this right. year. Yeah, yeah. and I, I'd advocated for that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what's interesting, and I talked to some other executives around the league who were anonymous for the story, but there's a balance there, right? So mm. you're mm-hmm. going to want to move out some of your veterans, cash them in. But uh, what one executive told me was if you move out all of the kids, you get in this trap, or, or all the veterans, you get in a trap where your whole team is kids. And what the guy said was, and then they suck. And everybody sucks, and more kids come in, and they suck too. And the only yeah. veterans you can yeah. keep on your team, and you learn they how to suck. lose. You learn, and how, to learn, lose. How, to, learn yeah. how to lose, and, and that's that's why that's why Detroit hung on to the guys like you know. I mean, and uh, <laughs> you know the Darren Helms and the and the and the, and, and the Luke Lindanings. You know, like Luke Lindanning is a guy that is a real leader for a lot of those kids, like. Mantha and Athenasiu and, and Larkin, you know, like he's the weight room guy, right? right. So there's a value to be put on yeah, that. Yeah, there's I a balance. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. if you look at Chris yeah. Kreider, I mean, he's always been an athletic freak. Yeah. I, I imagine he still is. That's right, John. Yeah. Yeah. I think he is one of those sinew guys that yeah, yeah. bridges yeah. generations. Yeah. And yeah. 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 I, think it, I think it was good to keep him. It's interesting because, like, I'm glad to see that the Rangers are have a long-term blueprint for success because I, I think it's you know I think it's good for the NHL it's good for hockey it's good for the sport it's good for the industry it's good for the business when teams like the New York Rangers are relevant and good mm-hmm. and are you know at the top of people's consciousness right? mm-hmm. and that's why I feel about the New York Knicks in basketball people love to hate on them and see them yeah. struggle and I, and I yeah. always compare the Leafs to the Knicks because right. both cities declare themselves the so-called mecca of the sport right. and they have the, there's always been sort of this entitlement when the team hasn't won anything for years and years and years right. and people seem to love seeing those two franchises suffer the Knicks, Knicks and Leafs but I, I always have argued that Better for the sport. Even if you even if you want to cheer for them to fail, it still just adds to the excitement when they're good. So right. I'm, I'm with you right. on that. Yeah. Uh, so if you guys want to read more about that story, including a lot about uh, their top prospects, so Vitaly Kravtsov and Leah Sanderson, Phil Pedel, um, you can check it out in Future Watch. And there's lots of other stories. We'll talk about them in future podcasts. And hope you enjoy that. Uh, Kenny Boy, you have the floor for a sizzling take, I hope. Well, I hope it's sizzling, but I'm not sure. Um... I, I I am just getting a little tired of all these people ragging on the NHL's uh, playoff format. Whoa! Uh, I, I think I think it works. I think it absolutely works. Um, Boo! No, no. I mean, like, I want to see teams play each other in the first round. Like, I want to see these rivalries. I want to see them build in the first and second rounds because that's when teams are are healthy. They're they've they've got a lot of gas in the tank. Like I I, I want to see Pittsburgh and Washington in, in in the first round or the second round. I want to see those series. I want to see Boston and Toronto in the first round or the second round. I think that's great for the league. I think it builds up. Like that's exactly what the league's trying to do. They're trying to build up these rivalries, and nothing builds up a rivalry like a playoff series. And and the, how do you get playoff series? You guarantee that you have those playoff series, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Pittsburgh and Washington would play in the first round right now. If, if the playoffs were to start today. Nice. You know, I mean, I looked at it. So if if it were based on winning percentage right now, the, the seedings in the first round would be Tampa, Columbus, Boston, Toronto, the Islanders, Carolina, Pittsburgh, Washington. And in the West, it would be Winnipeg, Arizona, Nashville, St. Louis, Calgary, Dallas, San Jose, Vegas. Okay? Let's see what it would be if they went 116-215. Tampa Bay, Dallas. Four-point difference between Dallas and Columbus. 
Boston, Montreal. Okay, there's 10 points between Montreal and Toronto. Calgary, St. Louis. Two points between uh, Calgary and Dallas. Uh, or, sorry, St. Louis and Dallas. San Jose and Columbus. One point between San Jose and Vegas. Washington, Vegas. Three points between... Um, between Pittsburgh and Vegas. I'm in so, trouble following here. No, no, I'm just <laughs> saying that, I'm just saying that all, of these, all of these teams that they're playing, they're all within a couple of points of the yes. team they'd be playing anyways, even if it was 116. You know, I mean, Washington-Pittsburgh, or, or, or sorry, Winnipeg-Pittsburgh. Winnipeg would be playing Arizona. Arizona only has three or few, right. or three fewer points than Pittsburgh. But I do think we see examples. So, like 2017 in the East, you had... Three of the top four teams in the NHL battling each other in the first two rounds. So Columbus had to play Pittsburgh, and then Washington played Pittsburgh. Right. Uh, and so you had you had two of the top four teams guaranteed gone by the end of round two. And I think the thing that I that bothers me most about the format is, and I wrote about this recently. I think for teams that are on the rise, it puts their own ability to evaluate themselves in a funhouse mirror. So the example you could use the Leafs right now or Boston, but I can also use Columbus in 2017. You're a team that might be really good, but Columbus has lost to the Stanley Cup champion two years in a row. Like for all we know, Columbus was a top five team in the NHL, but instead they they're bombing out in round one. They're not getting any playoff experience, even though they're a team that probably deserved the gate revenues to go further. They're a very good team. Then their GM, Yarmo Kekalainen, starts thinking, "Oh my God, I'm going to lose my job. I better make some crazy moves." They start going nuts at the trade deadline this year when again they might have been a team that was conference final good last year and I think we're seeing the same thing now with the Leafs being put in this pressure cooker and I think it's going to happen to Boston as well if they lose to Tampa Bay two really good teams Toronto and Boston probably two of the top five six teams in the NHL they're not getting a chance like Charlie McAvoy or Austin Matthews or Brandon Carlo these young players aren't getting to develop they're not getting those deep playoff runs that they deserve because they're just bumming out round one round one round one and I, I just it bothers me. I find it unjust. Well, you got to beat everybody. Teams, yeah, you go ahead. To, I know you have to beat everybody, yeah. but I think there's. I like the idea of a logical progression where you, yeah. you go deeper and then you face an increasingly deservingly tough challenge each round. Well, yeah, and but tell that to the Winnipeg Jets of the 1980s. Tell that to the Calgary Flames of the 1980s. They ran into Edmonton all the time, and I know that the Calgary Flames have said in that era that having to measure themselves constantly against the Edmonton Oilers made them better. It drove them to be better. It drove them to 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 make to always be on the lookout to make their team better, to you know, to do everything they possibly could. So I th- I think, you know, I think that kind of situation, I mean, if Columbus is losing to the Stanley Cup champion in the first round, well then get better. Just get better. You but know, what if they're already really good? Well, but they just you just don't, you just don't not. get a chance. They're not, they're not <laughs> but they're clearly not. Good they're clearly enough. not. But you don't. I just think you need some more playoff games to test yourself and well, learn then, about then, who you are as a then team. Then you finish. You know, you finish first. You finish first in the division, and then you get to play the eighth place team, or you finish first in the conference. It's a good debate. For yeah. what it's worth, I've always been a guy that's retro complained that the Flames kind of got dropped in the eighties. I, like, <laughs> I was like, man, they could have won so many cups. Oh yeah, I, th- I think I think actually you could make a bigger case for the for the Winnipeg Jets. Oh yeah, a bigger case. They for never the got into the division. They never got out of the first round because yeah. they were always playing Gretzky. Or they always Dale played them hard, and, yeah. and they were a good team. And they you know they had Dale Howarchuk and a lot of great talent, and they never did anything because. They were always running into the Oilers. And, yeah. I mean, what are you going to do when a team's that good, right? Yeah. It's yeah. like anyone who's sharing a division with Tampa Bay for now and maybe for several more years for all we know. And so so really, you know, if you believe that, 
you know, if you believe in the hockey gods and everything or, or you know, that things even out, these things always even out. There's an era now where it's, you know, it's Boston, Toronto, and Tampa Bay, and, you know, maybe 10 years down the road it'll be, you know, San Jose, Vegas, and Vancouver or something, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, I, I think these things sort of are tend to be cyclical. And, uh, you know, particularly when there's a team from the center of the frickin' hockey universe involved that gets adversely affected by this, we tend to hear about it a little more. That's why I keep using that disclaimer. People kept claiming that, but I complained a lot about Columbus in 2017, just for the record. Matt, you had, you had Maple Leafs pajamas when you were a kid. No, that's, <laughs> that's John Tavares. Yeah, yeah, you too. You too, <laughs> except, except you couldn't play. Except it was a blanket. <laughs> To blatantly change the subject, <laughs> let's get to some mailbag questions. Uh, this one's from Tyler H. Tyler says, what moves can the New Jersey Devils make for next year to help them get into the playoffs? Let me start by saying... <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding, Tyler. No, I'm not really. Uh, they, I think they're pretty far away from getting to the playoffs. But as I've said all year, uh, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that Ray Shearer was playing the long game here. Yeah. And I don't think the Devils have enough high-end prospects just yet. Mm-hmm. They've done well in the last two drafts, absolutely. But I think they need to keep collecting, especially when Taylor Hall is not signed yet. We don't know 100% that he's going to stay in New Jersey. Uh, and suddenly, I think it's more of a question for them. His durability issues came up again this year. Yeah. So I think the Devils, I personally think they're still very far away. Uh, and that's okay. Sometimes you just have to suffer for a few seasons. And, hey, Devils fans, you guys had an awesome run for 15 years. And now it's time for a bit of pain. It's going right. to be okay right. eventually. But I think I don't think the Devils are going to be able to get themselves back into a playoff position by next year. You never know. Yeah, they, they might. I mean, they might if they overachieve like they did last year. They might be able to do something like that. But I think your point about the depth is, is, a, is, is very well taken, Matt. Um, because I think we're seeing it right now. They've had a ton of injuries. And I watched, I was in Calgary last week and I saw them play the Calgary Flames. And that, that was a borderline American Hockey League team. Like they had 10 guys on that roster that probably shouldn't be in the NHL because of injuries. So they have, you know, I mean, they have to, they have to build up their depth. They have to build up, you know, create some competition, create some, some situations where maybe some of the veterans are putting, you know, out of their comfort zone a little bit because there might be guys coming up because that's always, that was always, always what the devils did under Lou Lamorello and David Conti was they did, they didn't care. They would move out a veteran. They would let a guy walk and sign in free agency because they knew they had somebody coming up the pike who could replace that guy for half the cost. And that was why they were so successful. I I talked to uh, John Hines about this when when we were in Calgary. Actually, I'll probably write a blog on it later this week. But, like, it's kind of like the delicate dance of tanking. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Because, like, coaches and players will never tank ever, 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 ever. If you're going to tank, it has to be on the organizational level where you have Byron Fraze on your second power play. Yeah, it's about you putting know? bad chess pieces on Right, the exactly. And so so coaches and, and players will never do it. But but I was talking to him and I was like, you know, like in a lot of these situations, the coach is sitting there saying, I don't care if we don't, I don't care. I don't want to lose. I just want to win because I'm gone anyways. But he's not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's a guy who's going to have a chance to coach a Capocacco or, or a Jack Hughes if these guys fall back enough. So For sure. finishing, you know, in a, in a lottery position where you can win the lottery and get, 
either Capocacco or, or Jack Hughes would be a really good start. Oh, yeah. I don't know about next year, but I think you're right. I think this is the long game. Yeah, and I think you know when you look at a rebuild, like a like a true rebuild, it actually takes longer than most people expect. I remember talking to Dean Lombardi about this years ago about the Los Angeles Kings rebuild, and he's like, "This was not like a two or three year thing. It took eight years for us to get from rock bottom to Stanley Cup winner." And the fact that the Devils made the playoffs last year that was that was the aberration that was Taylor Hall and Nico Heischer playing out of their minds and them getting some clutch goaltending from Keith Kincaid down the stretch when they really needed him but long term this is this is an organization that is going to need a starting goaltender uh, very very soon I mean they have some kids in the pipeline but they're not close to ready Um, they need as you said you know they need more depth and if they could get Capocacco, or like even if they don't get Jack Hughes, if they pick in that top five, if they could get like a Dylan Cousins, a Kirby yeah, Doc, yeah, Vasily yeah. Podkolzin, like those would be like some nice chips because they have some like decent prospects, but not a lot of sure, sure things. Yeah. And and they want those kids to be able to get into the culture and contribute without being overwhelmed. So, you know, if I'm the Devils, I want Ty Smith in New Jersey in the next couple of years, but only when he's ready. I don't want to have to bring in Ty Smith on our defense corps next year just because. Mm -hmm. And I think that because they have a pretty smart brain trust there, they won't fall into those traps. But for the New Jersey fan base, I think, you know, they will have to recognize that it's like, yeah, two or three more years without playoffs is maybe our lot in life, and and that's okay. That's fair. And and I think... The other thing that Devils fans should expect is for Shiro to remain pretty conservative in free agency. Last year on paper, they had a ton of cap space, but I talked to Shiro in about May, like during the playoffs after his team was out, and we were talking about free agency, and he said, quick, quick, tell me one free agent other than Zdeno Chara that made a big impact. Name one. And I was like, uh, uh. And then I hung up the phone, and I was like, damn it, Marion Hosa. So I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> it was too late. But his point was, he was like, I don't believe in in going the free agency route to make your big splash and build your team that way. So I don't think we're going to see the Devils chase one of the bigger fish this offseason. It's going to be more depth type of signings, which means the timeline is going to be longer, assuming that Shiro keeps his word that he's going to mm-hmm. play it mm-hmm. uh, conservatively. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next question comes from our old friend, Sire, son of Will. I remember that guy or gal. Uh, probably guy, I don't know. Uh, should the NHL introduce an award for most improved player and team? If not... If you could add one more award, what would it be? I know what award I would add, but let's start with the the second or the first part. Um, what a twist! Let's start with the first part. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think? Most improved player award? No. Like, why don't you just start giving out SO medals of achievement? Uh, I, I got <laughs> a lot of SO medals. Of achievement. <laughs> like, why don't we start giving out participation badges? Like, come on, come on, come on I, I get like the, the game. Sometimes the Masterton kind of doubles as yeah, yeah, a exactly. comeback player. Yeah, do, well, it does. It absolutely does. But, but to me, it's like most improved player. If I like, I'd be like, if I was on, if I was that player. I remember when uh, Alex McGillney, when I was covering the Leafs, he was up for the Lady Bing, and he ended up winning it, and he was like. I don't want that award. That's like the worst award ever. Like, I would hate to get that award if I was that guy. Although, I will say, if you were to have most improved this year, is it maybe Dylan Strome? And it could be a nice award for a player that is, you know, still finding himself in the NHL and had a big improvement. Yeah, but you're just saying, yeah, everybody thought I was going to be good. I was a piece of junk, and now I'm okay. 
Yeah, right. as, a, as, a, <laughs> as a long time like every year winner of the most improved award in House League yeah. I can tell you it doesn't feel great yeah. <laughs> what it means is like congratulations you were the worst guy in the team and now you're only the third worst guy in the team that, that's, that's how I interpreted it here's your shell necklace yeah. Yeah. here's your shell necklace yeah. oh. yeah. <laughs> great callback yeah. nice great callback uh, the one award that I would absolutely introduce, and I actually did some digging into this because it was in a, an article I was writing. Um, why is there no Wayne Gretzky Award for the league leader in assists? We have the Richard Award, and we can't say, well, it's a, a because memorial award. Because it's about goals. It's about goals. It's Still, goals. regardless, it's about memorial That's award, why. right? Why. It doesn't have to be memorial. Mark Messier Leadership Award already exists, so it's not about waiting until the guy passes and then naming an award after him. Award a playmaker. There's no, there's a sniper award. There's no playmaker award. And Gretzky, the greatest playmaker of all time, all people did not have an award named after mm. the best player who ever lived, the most mm. accomplished player who ever lived, the guy that won the most awards doesn't have his own award. I think it's crazy. So I was talking about that, and I decided, wait, well, I wonder if I should investigate and find out if the league is doing anything about that before I declare it a travesty. And I did... Before I declare it. Yeah, (laughs) right? Because what if it's like, well, actually, no, we're introducing it next month. So I did dig around and I got some answers. And surprisingly, I was kind of told, no, we hadn't discussed that or thought of it before. As in, like, it was almost like it was my idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But the feedback I got was uh, it would take someone, uh, a powerful person, like someone on the Board of Governors or a team owner, to table it. And if it was tabled by an owner, then it would get pretty serious consideration. So Mm -hmm. now it's my goal to try and float that to an owner. Yeah, yeah. try and get that Gretzky award in there. So that's my pick for the award that should exist. All right. um, I, I think one that's been brought up quite often is defensive defenseman, yeah. you know, the, the so-called Rod Langway award. And it, it's not a sexy award, but I think particularly these days with the Norris being so contentious, uh, you know, I mean, the whole Eric Carlson era has kind of been like a debate over what is an elite defenseman and I think Eric Carlson probably won that debate in the end. Um, but, you know, looking at, you know, where's Mark Edward Vlasic's trophy? You know, he's, he's going to go down as one of the better defensemen of his generation, mm-hmm. but a very different defenseman than your Eric Carlson's, your P.K. Subban's. Um, I will also say, and this, this is my hot take for the day, I think we should rename some of the trophies so they're not named after horrible people. <laughs> I.e. the Norris, the Jack Adams, the owners that tried to crush the players yeah. back in the day. I don't think they should have trophies anymore. I think there's plenty of players. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of players. Plenty of plenty players. Of players. Like, Bobby Orr doesn't have an... Uh, why, is, why, is, why isn't it the Bobby Orr trophy for best defenseman yeah. as opposed to the James Norris who hated most defensemen and forwards <laughs> and goalies? That's my hot take. Yeah, fair point. Okay, I'm having a tough time gathering up any sort of caring about this, but I'm going to give it a shot, okay? All right. Okay, I would like to see, I would still like to see the Calder Trophy. So it goes to the best first-year player, best rookie player. But I would also like to see, and and it might be the same player in, in, in some years, but the best teenage player, mm. like the best or the best under twenty one player, the Tiger Beat Award, the under the yeah. under twenty the under twenty rookie that was the best. So that yeah. way, you know, when you have a a twenty three year old, um, and it, it, this happened like just recently, so, somebody was Panarin. 
Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, right, okay. So, so like, you can't penalize, penalize a guy because he's 22 or 23 or 24. Yeah. But it, it does create a bit of an unequal playing field when an 18-year-old comes in and he's and, – and there could be a guy that's 25, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that might be something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. something yeah. to consider, food for thought. Uh, next question, Jared Brown, really with a doozy here. Uh, with the new investor in the hockey news, that's Graham Rooston, our, our owner – Rooster Media, uh, can you guys please talk about the changes that have occurred, the things you see changing in the future, and generally the differences between pre and post Rooster Media? Quote or in brackets, not asking you guys to roast your previous owner. So let's be careful legally. And with that, let's begin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say the biggest difference between pre and post Rooster is that we are uh, we exist. Yes, <laughs> we're here. Yeah, yep, we're here, and we do stuff. Yeah, we do stuff. I we just, have the ability to do things. Yeah, we are. We are. Uh, you know, I mean, we we kind of got a unicorn, and I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to blow smoke up anybody's dress. Unless here, you're but, listening, yeah. Grant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but to me, I mean, it, it was obviously it was a lifeline. Uh, we have a chance now. We're in the game now. We weren't in the game before. Um, I mean, we talked. You know, I, I went to Calgary last week for for four days. Uh, previous to that, and and there's and I can tell you, and readers, you may not readers and listeners, you may not be able to to um, appreciate this, but there's absolutely nothing like FaceTime with people. Yeah, like I could have interviewed Mark Giordano over the phone, right? And it would have been okay. But it's not the same. But it's it's, it's absolutely not the same as sitting right next to him. And, to, and talking to him and looking him in the eye and mm. it's just it just isn't so so there's that I mean you know that in the previous days we were doing little to no travel um, you know I mean the fact that we've got all this new equipment that we're able to roll out um, you know I, I really you know we're in the game we're in the game I don't know where all this stuff is going I don't know what's you know our industry is so much in flux right now and and there's a lot that might be out of our control in terms of people's habits when they you know consume their media but we have a chance now we have a chance and we've got somebody who's got passion and 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 a real sort of like um just just wants to make it work and that's that's all you can ask for yeah there's not only a monetary investment but there's now an emotional investment and there's somebody that's part of the team on a more day-to-day basis in a positive way and i i think that you know, in terms of morale and, and in terms of direction too, where, you know, it's it's all about the subscribers right now. Like we want to be doing the best for the magazine and for the subscribers that are paying the money for us. And just having that direction, I think, has been very helpful for us. And it's it's been kind of freeing too to know that if you come up with a good story, like you said, like now, now we yeah, go. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. and there's room yeah. for it, right? So the yeah. magazine uh, before Graham bought us had been whittled down to 52 pages, a glorified yeah. pamphlet, if you will. Yeah. Now it's up to 76. Yeah. So it's grown yeah, we've gone significantly. Up mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have now we have uh, sec- sections in every issue: grassroots, women's section, a European section. Right. So we have those other sort of uh, pillars, el- elements, or pillars of the game covered in every issue. It's not just a story here, a story there. 
especially, I think we've made a huge change in our women's coverage, and I think Graham deserves a lot of credit for that. I yeah. think our identity's changed in that way. We're covering more of the sport because we have more resources to do it. And I'm looking into the eyes of a new hire, Stephen. Yeah, we hired somebody. We, we hired, we hired yeah. somebody, and he wasn't to replace yeah, somebody we're not else. Cutting. We hired somebody. Yeah, we're adding humans. Yeah, yeah. Mad, mad humans up in this. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if the people that listen to the podcast are subscribers or if they're generally people who just read us on the web. But if you are listening to this podcast and you don't subscribe to the Hockey News, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I will ask you to go out and buy a copy because I think you're going to love what you see. I, I, you know, Matt's pretty passionate about it. We're all very passionate about what we do here and are passionate about the product. I think what the the product we're producing right now is is better than it's ever been. Um, And and I I really think that, that you got to do yourself a favor if you're a serious hockey fan and get your hands on one of these copies and just take a look at some of the stuff we're doing. I think we're going we're gonna to end on that mic drop moment by Ken because he actually has a microphone in front right of him. Another really shade! Tying it all the way back to how this podcast began. Uh, we're going to leave you now for this week, but uh, hey, thanks for listening, and I hope the sound is better than last week. All right.